Hi, it's Shana here. Before this episode starts, I'm popping in with a quick reminder about our upcoming CEU on Thursday, May 16th on a person-centered approach to behavior management. School taught us a lot about ABA. However, the thing with ABA is that it's a science and it's constantly evolving. So a lot of what we learned back then doesn't always apply now. Today, we want to use a person-centered approach to behavior management, um, but what does that look like and how can our learners still make progress in this kind of approach? So join us live on Thursday, May 16th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time as Shira discusses how to use a person-centered approach to behavior management with your learners. This CEU is presented by our very own Shira Karpel. You can earn one learning CEU for ACE, QABA, or IBAO. Join us live at this event or to watch the recording asynchronously, go to howtoaba.com forward slash CEU. See you then. Hi, I'm Shira Karpow. And I'm Shana Gaunt, and we're board certified behavior analysts. At How To ABA, we provide practical resources, community, and support to ABA professionals. In each episode of our podcast, we will be having real conversations with real people sharing real stories about ABA. We'll share relevant strategies and actionable tips that will make us all better ABA practitioners. It's the ABA content you need that you're not going to learn in a textbook. As ABA professionals, a big part of our job is to reduce problem behaviors in our clients. So in this podcast episode, we're diving into how to reduce problem behaviors. So a lot of times we're called in as like, you know, the fairy godmother is like wave the magic wand and make this problem behavior disappear. And what I sometimes find is that there's a big focus on, well, the student misbehaved or they did something wrong and they call me in for what's the punishment or what's the consequence or where do I send him now that he misbehaved? Um, and my response is usually like do nothing at this point like we're not going to be focusing on you know there being a punishment or a consequence because that's really not our approach to treating problem behavior um the problem behavior is really telling us something and it's our job to figure out what is that trying to say and how could we help them say it better so the very first thing we need to do is rule out any medical. So, you know, if someone calls me in and says, you know, the student is engaging in headbanging behavior, um, I say, okay, well, has, you know, a doctor been called? Have headaches been ruled out? Um, you know, is there anything internal going on? If there's nothing internal going on, then looking at changes in routine. Have there been any significant changes? Um, maybe there is, you know, a new relative living with the family. Maybe there is a divorce in the family. Um, maybe a new sibling has come into the situation. Uh, there could be a lot of factors that affect that. Um, you know, if there's no changes in routine, is there any other setting events that have been happening? And by setting events, I mean things like, you know, what about the uh, the child's sleep. What about their eating habits? You know, are you know negative behavior happening uh, right before lunchtime because they're starving and they haven't had a snack? So things like that. You want to look at that. You want to look at that lifestyle. And I wouldn't even say lifestyle, but more that we'd call it setting events in ABA. And you're looking at that. So ruling out medical, ruling out those setting events. And once you go, okay, this really is behavioral. What can we do about it? Then what we would do is number one, define the behavior. So what exactly do you mean by aggression? What exactly do you mean by self-injurious behavior? Let's put that down on paper and not only say, you know, what it is, but what it's not. So I was working with somebody yesterday. I'm supervising a few BCBA wannabes and they're going to be BCBAs. They're amazing. Um, but we said yesterday, okay, so, you know, the student is engaging in challenging behavior. We're going to label it 
as self-injurious behavior, but what is that? Well, she said, well, it's head banging. And I said, oh, so he's banging his head against the wall. And she said, no, 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 he's taking his hand and he's hitting his hand with his head. So see how she said head banging and I automatically went, oh, banging his head against the wall. And she said, no, 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 it looks completely different. And I said, okay, well, that what, which hand is it? She said, well, it's always his left hand. And I said, okay, well, let's put that in the definition. And then I said, well, does it also include something else? And she said, no, no, it doesn't include that. Okay, well, let's make sure that, you know, if he puts his forehead against our shoulder, that's not included. So we get a really good definition of what the actual behavior is. And once we've got that definition, then we can start tracking it. And we really do want a really good data collection system because we need to know what's happening. Now, be careful because I say we need a good data collection system. We need to collect data, but we don't need reams and reams and reams of data. And, you know, we've talked about this previously on other podcasts in blogs about ABC data and about other data. But really what you want to look at is what do we need to know about this target behavior? Do we need to know frequency? Do we need to know the duration? Is it important that we know how long a tantrum is happening or how many times a day the aggression is occurring? Um, if aggression is happening over and over and over again, if it's hit, 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 stop, hit, 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 hit again, um, do you count each of those hit, hit, hits as one episode or do you count them individually? I typically count them as one episode because they're all within the same trigger uh, type thing. Anyway, so you want to take a look at that. So if we've said, okay, so what do I really need to know? I really need to know frequency or I really need to know duration or both. Um, but I also want to know maybe, you know, if it's a time of day, if it is, um, you know, during a certain period in a classroom situation, um, if it's during transition. So I need to know all these things. So sometimes an ABC chart is really good with that. Um, and sometimes it's something like a partial interval recording where you can just check, check, check the times of day that it's happening. Um, and sometimes it's just giving, you know, a teacher a clicker and they can count um, the frequency throughout the entire day. So really looking at that data collection system is really important. And you can include those setting events on your data collection, because if it does tell you that it's related to like how well they slept or didn't sleep, or if they're hungry, then that would be the first thing you want to target. I wouldn't go into, you know, trying to figure out more about this specific behavior if it always happens on a night that they really didn't sleep well. So I would try to maybe coach parents on how can we improve sleep? How can we improve eating or whatever other setting events are affecting the behavior and then go into developing more of like a function-based intervention plan. And then after we've collected some data um, and we want data because we need to know um, why this is occurring. So lots of times, you know, people will come up to us in the vein of, you know, us waving our magic wands. They'll say things like, um, you know, well, you know, my child's doing X, what do I do about it? And, you know, our question is always, well, why? You know, what's the function? Um, you guys, your behavior analysts, you know, WTF, what's the function? Um, we need to know what that function is. So if your initial data collection isn't telling you and it's not obvious, so an ABC chart, it may jump out at you. Oh, of course, this is for escape. Great, it's obvious. Sometimes it's not so obvious and we need to actually go further and we need to do a functional analysis. Um, so we would run a functional analysis um, this podcast is not about how to run a functional analysis, but you'd run a functional analysis to determine what that function is. Um, and then from there, you can put in place a function-based treatment. The idea is that we want to figure out what is this behavior trying to say, right? The behavior is trying to tell us something. It's some form of communication. 
or it's telling us that there's a missing skill. So if there's always a meltdown when they need to wait their turn for something, then we need to teach them how to wait their turn. If they hit when they want to get someone's attention, they may not know how to get someone's attention appropriately. So we're looking at what's the function and what is this behavior trying to say so that we can then teach them those skills or give them the communication so that they can they can say it better. Um, and our focus in developing those kinds of figuring out the function and developing a plan is always on the proactive side. Um, of course, we're tracking the entire time to see if the behavior is changing, but our focus and emphasis is always on the proactive and antecedent side of things. So the antecedent is before the behavior even happens, how can we set them up for success and how can we teach them the skills that they need to be more successful um, and not you know use the skills that they've been using till now, which have really worked for them. And we're trying to teach them skills that are going to be harder for them. And, you know, Gregory Hanley is the first person to say, you know, these students, they don't want to be engaging in these negative behaviors. You know, no one ever said, oh, wow, it's really fun to hit somebody. Or, you know, I really love banging my head against my fist. Like, I don't think these students want to be doing this. Um, so being able to give them strategies to help is what we need to do as BCBAs. You know, uh, you know, ABA professionals, um, applied behavior analysis, everybody says, oh, well, you can reduce behavior. Um, but I have to say, even though, you know, cheer is the teacher out of us, I am really a teacher because I don't do a lot of behavior reduction um, consequence strategies. It's really about going in from that antecedent side and saying, well, what replacement skills can I teach? Whether that's FCT, which is functional community Education training. Are they trying to say something and they can't? Maybe they have a ton of language, um, but it's not fluent. Maybe they just can't get it out. They can't express themselves. Or, you know, when they're heightened, the words just don't come. So what can we do to teach them to communicate in those moments? And sometimes just giving them a communication system is all that it takes. And being able to teach that communication reduces problem behavior. Um, and there's my magic wand. <laughs> And the thing to remember about teaching them these new skills is the same way we learn any skill is not going to be in the moment of like complete meltdown when the pressure is on. Um, we really need to think about it as we would kids to read and write and do anything else. Let's practice tolerating waiting or let's practice asking for what you want and make it into, you know, a teaching scenario. You don't have to wait until they're on the brink of a meltdown, but you can give them lots of opportunities and you can even make it fun or silly or however the student will respond to that. Um, think about it the same way. We're going to do teaching situations on this specific skill, the same way we would do for reading drills or writing drills. These are our behavior drills or communication drills, and we're going to teach it the same way. Absolutely. And that's a huge point is that, you know, if you're looking at that A, that B and that C, you know, you don't want to go in after the behaviors occurred and then try and teach because A, I mean, you're giving attention to the behavior, um, but B, I mean, if you're, you know, if your client is heightened already, they're not taking things in. Think about it. If you're ever angry or if you're heightened for whatever reason, I mean, it's going in one ear and out the other. Like I'm not learning anything in those situations where I'm just angry and, you know, I'm always right because I'm angry and it's my way or the highway. So I'm not going to be going, well, yeah, okay. I'm going to take the chance to breathe. Okay. Let me practice that in this moment. Like you're not doing it. Um, so it is true to bringing it out. You know, when students are calm, that's the time to teach, teach it away from the behavior. And so in addition to like the skills that might be lacking in the child work 
working with, we can also look at the environment and think of like, how can this environment set them up for success a little bit better? Um, environments can be overwhelming. There's a lot of demands going on, maybe like, you know, their receptive language isn't so high and there's just too many pieces and, and that's when behaviors come out. We can think about things like putting in visual supports, visual schedules, things that we can do to the environment to make their lives a little bit easier so that they can know what to expect. They know what the expectations are. They know, you know, how many more tokens until I can trade it in. Um, and it's not ambiguous because sometimes with that unpredictability comes some of those major behaviors. Same thing with a reinforcement system. If we can put in a couple things to motivate them, whether it's a token system or a point system or pom-poms or whatever it looks like, just a little bit of extra reinforcement to motivate them to do the things that we want them to do, that can go a long way. I always make the analogy uh, with, you know, especially with students who, you know, are non-speaking or don't understand much. If their comprehension is low, think about going to another country yourselves. If you're plopped in the middle of another country where you don't speak the language, you don't understand the culture, you don't know all of the nuances of, of, you know, the country, how would you do? How would you perform? I would be extremely overwhelmed. And honestly, I would probably curl up in a ball and rock back and forth somewhere in a corner because it would just be way too overwhelming. Um, so, you know, think about that for them. You know, if you're all of a sudden pushing them into a classroom and saying, you know, yep, we're just doing this and we're getting right into it. Like they're going to need those supports. So think about that. And, you know, what supports would you give yourself in another country? I would give myself, you know, the gift of Google Translate, um, visual signs. You know, if I'm jumping on a subway in another country or another city, I'm constantly looking for those signs. Okay. Where do I go in, on the subway? What stop do I get off at? You know, oh, look, I'm following everybody else to the exit, those types of things. I'm looking for those nuances. So let's give those nuances to our learners as well. So in addition to the changes in the skills that we can give our learners and the changes in the environment, I think we can also make changes in ourselves. And one of the things that I often recommend is um, can you can it be presented differently? You know, can you, as an antecedent strategy, offer the student more choices, say it in a different way, um, you know, tell them instead of asking them, because if we're asking them and they say no, well, we did ask. Um, and a lot of ways that we interact with our students can really help alleviate some of that behavior. And sometimes, you know, going head on with them and, and making it into a battle of wills, you know, I said it, so it's going to happen, doesn't work for a lot of our students. So let's think about how we can change our approach to the students and, you know, getting them to do what we want them to do. At the end of the day, we want them to complete the work or do the worksheet or do the activity or whatever it is we want them to do. But can we get them to do it a little bit differently so that it's focusing on their strengths so that they have choices, they have options, they're motivated, there's something in it for them. All of those factors are going to help that result. Absolutely. Set them up for success, right? It isn't an us versus you situation. It's really about, hey, how can we work together on this as a team? And sometimes, you know, that's offering choice. Most of the time it's offering choice, right? And not just like, what do you want to do? But do you want this or do you want this? So force choice, like this or this, or I'm giving you three options instead of 20 options. Um, but also things like pairing yourself. You know, if you're seen as the giver of demand, of course, someone's going to run away from you. But if you can also be fun and celebrate successes at the same time as you're not the same time you're giving demand, but you know, in the same environment, then you can be seen as a fun person as well. And, you know, you can establish that rapport with an individual. And so much research says that if you can establish rapport, you know, people are going to respect you more and, you know, will, you know, do things with you and for you um, because you've got that rapport with the learner.
So ideally we can prevent every challenging behavior because we're magical like that, but sometimes we can't. And then we do need some strategies when the behavior does occur. Um, the focus is not on the consequence strategies. What I usually say is the best that you can do in that moment is not to reinforce the challenging behavior, but the goal is not to teach them anything in that moment. The goal is not to like get them to stop. That's not even the goal because sometimes I can get them to stop by presenting an iPad or presenting something very reinforcing, but that's likely going to reinforce the challenging behavior. So our goal is not to end the behavior. Our goal is not to teach them anything in that moment. Our goal is really to like, re-regulate them to get them to a point where you can either distract them, you can get them back on task, you can remind them of what they're working for, but not to reinforce that challenging behavior. Just get them through this moment as safe and as you know emotionally healthy as possible. So then on the other side of this behavior, that's when all the teaching can happen, like when it's way over. Um, so in that moment, depending on what the trigger was or the antecedent or the function is, um, you're going to do your best to not to not give them that item or that attention or that escape um, while still trying to get them back on task. So we hear a lot about, you know, ignoring the behavior and not the child. Um, and what that means is that you're not labeling the specific behavior that they're saying. You're not becoming, you know, reactive to saying, stop doing that. You're not supposed to be kicking. What are you doing? That's called attending to the behavior. But we do attend to the child. We're redirecting. We're reassuring. We're giving them what they need in that moment. But it's not about the behavior. It's about the child. Like, what do you need right now so I can get you through this without that need being reinforcing? Um, and you could definitely be reassuring without being reinforcing. So an example would be, I mean, I have a, had a student yesterday who has a lot of language skills. And she just transitioned back to school. So she's having some transition issues there. Things are changing. Um, but her not only that, but her therapist changed. So her therapist actually went back to school. So she's got a new therapist. The therapist has experience and has visited her a few times throughout the summer, but she's having difficulty because there's a bunch of change happening in her life. And, uh, you know, the new therapist came in and said, you know, we're doing this program and here's how we're doing it. And, um, you know, the child actually ended up engaging in like she was tantruming and she, but she was able to say, that's not how her old therapist did it. And she said, I, I don't want it done that way. And she was able to express herself, but it wasn't in a functional way. It was very much on the floor, kicking and screaming, yelling and, and saying that. Um, so the new therapist was in there and she was trying to redirect behavior and she was trying to ignore the behavior and just trying to, well, look at here. We've got, we've got to do this. Look, only four more tokens, blah, 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 blah. And my advice was actually like, you know what? Address that language. She can understand and she's telling you that this isn't the way the other therapist did it. So, and she wasn't doing this for attention. This wasn't an attention seeking behavior. We knew that she was seriously trying to tell us, look, I've had so much change in my life and you're not keeping that consistent. So my advice wasn't about at all ignoring the behavior. It was, yeah, go in and address it and say, yes, I know. I know you feel this way. I know you're frustrated or, Hey, it sounds like you're frustrated. Um, you know, I understand I'm doing it a little bit differently than your old therapist. You know, let's let's work on how we can do this together. Or look, I need to do it this way, um, but we can talk about that later. And as soon as she went in and said, I hear you, I know you're frustrated. I know I'm not doing things the way your old therapist did. The behavior just 
decreased dramatically. And it was almost like, you know, this little girl basically was saying, wow, I was heard. It's all she wanted. I was heard. And, you know, as soon as she was heard, she, you know, she, you know, decreased the negative behavior to the point where she was able to get up off the floor and, you know, started doing some work. She calmed down a little bit and then we addressed it. And then we said, listen, okay, I look at, you know, I know that we're doing this differently. That's okay. I'm going to do it differently. But then afterwards, you show me how she did it before. I love the saying when you're dealing with challenging behavior to be the thermostat and not the thermometer. Um, and what I mean by that is that so often challenging behavior is, is surprising. Like it comes out of nowhere, it's unexpected, and it's very easy to react and to just be reactive. And as soon as they jump up, you jump up and they're running out of the halls and you're chasing them down the halls and you may need to actually follow them down the hall, but who's controlling that dynamic. So be the thermostat. And it goes along with what Gina was saying about you can reassure them. I got it. I hear you. You're struggling. This is what you want right now. And it feels really awful that you can't have it. And you can be the safe person for this child in that moment so that they don't feel like their behavior is setting everybody off, which is often very unreassuring for a student. Um, We want them to feel like no matter what happens or what behavior goes on, like I'm here for you and I can help you through this. Yeah. Like I've got your back. Right. Um, we did this as well with somebody who doesn't speak very well. He does read um, and he does communicate via an augmented communication system. And he, again, heightened up getting all this behavior when kids are going back to school, right? Environments are challenging. They're just new. Everything's changing. Um, but, you know, we wrote down on a piece of paper um, and we put his name and we just said, you know, you feel blah, blah, blah. Um, it's okay. Um, other times we would say, you know, his name or you want blah, blah, blah. I know here's what's happening. And as soon as we wrote that down, he de-escalated. And sometimes students are engaging in negative behavior because they don't know how else to react, but lots of times they just want to be heard. So what I think Shira and I are trying to say is if you have to go in from that consequence point of view, what do you do when the behavior is occurring? You know, don't put, you know, it's not extinction. Extinction is not what we want to do. Yes, we can ignore the challenging behavior by saying no, or by not saying things like no hitting, stop it, blah, 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 blah. But I think we do need to address it and say, listen, we hear you. I know you want this. And then there's usually a but or a however, but you can't do this. Um, but really trying to let them know it's okay. I hear you. I hear you. Right. Helping them cope through it. You bet. Um, the other thing is we're always going to be taking data. We're taking data on that skill acquisition that we're teaching, hopefully proactively. And we're seeing, are they able to learn some communication skills? Are they able to tolerate new things? And then we're also taking data on, is that behavior also reducing at the same time? Um, and hopefully it is. Hopefully over time, you're able to see once you've started the intervention, that the behavior does reduce. And it's really important to look at different dimensions of behavior depending on what's important for this behavior. Is it important just to look at frequency or frequency and duration? Because what sometimes might happen is if you're only taking frequency data and the behavior is still happening three times a day, uh, but duration data would have told you that those three times a day used to be 45 minutes long and now they're five minutes long. That's a huge amount of progress. Um, So it is important to think about what's going to be a helpful information for me to know, is this working? Is that duration data? Is that frequency? Is it both? Um, and we are, we are sharing our free frequency graphs that you could take that frequency data for yourselves and be able to monitor that behavior. 
So just in summary, we talked about, you know, what to do when managing challenging behavior and typically going in from an antecedent point of view. So first of all, you want to define the behavior, then you want to track it and find out function. Um, going in from an antecedent point of view, teaching replacement behavior, seeing what else that you can do um, before um, treating it from a consequence point of view. If you do have to go in and say, well, the behavior occurred, so what do I do now? Um, being able to, you know, go in and, and try and reassure and de-escalate. Um, um, and then continuing to look at that data. So click on the link in or around this video to get your free frequency graph. Thanks for joining today's conversation. Wherever you get your podcast, please go and subscribe, rate and review so others can find out about us too. For more from How to ABA, including free resources and ABA materials, visit our blog at howtoaba.com. And make sure that you're following us on social media for more practical tips and updates.